0: Well, good morning, Windsor Christian Fellowship. I'm so glad that all of you have joined us today, and uh, thank you, Jade, Stephen, and our worship team for leading us this morning to this point. And I'm excited today. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a new series that's beginning on on life and death. And I've been I've been thinking a lot the last year about these concepts, and I and I realized that as Christians, we don't always have the right concepts of life from God's perspective. And we don't even view death from God's perspective sometimes because often we get caught up in the cares of this life or the cares of this world and then we don't come to the same conclusions that God has for all of us. And as we're looking at this, you know, I'm hoping that over the next few weeks we can kinda start framing things from God's point of view, not just from our limited human perspective. And how many know that today in our world people tend to be very selfish? Has anyone come to that conclusion? There is some selfless people that kind of give of their lives and serve others. But as a rule, humans tend to be very selfish, especially humans that don't know God because outside of Christ who his spirit comes in and starts restraining the flesh inside of us, our flesh nature wants to serve itself. And I mean, I don't know how many people have told me, well, I can have that or I want that, I deserve that. And if I've heard one person say it, I've probably heard 50 people say it. You know, I watch people, they walk away from their marriage covenant because they think they're going to get something better when they walk across the street and find someone else. I deserve that. I deserve better than this. I didn't sign up for this. It's a covenant, people. I watch people walk away from God. Some people even exit life early. They disengage from life, and they withdraw, or some even take their own life and depart. Often there's this pursuit of happiness like it's some magical place that we arrive at. For all you SHIELD fans, Tahiti is a magical place. But the truth is, happiness is not an external part of our existence. Happiness is a place we come to within when we realize that our Savior went to the cross and sacrificed his life for us. When we realize that God loved us so much that he made a way for us to have no more sin He made a way for us to be free, for us to gain eternal life. That's the place of happiness that we have when we realize, as Julie was sharing a little bit earlier, what are you thankful for today? Thankful people are a lot happier than people that are unthankful, I assure you. Earlier this week, you know, as I was thinking about this, I even was thinking about, Jesus doesn't say to rejoice because you have stuff or because life is working out how you think it should. Jesus says rejoice, why? Because your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you wanna be happy, is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? That should make you happy. If you got nothing else to be happy about, be happy that your name is written in God's Book of Life and you get to spend eternity with him. I saw a quote earlier, made me laugh. It says, everyone wants their pastor to preach it straight, (laughs) until he does. But more seriously, have you ever wondered? I think all of us have at some point. Why do people get sick? Why do people die? Why do young people perish tragically? Why is someone with you one moment and then the next, they're not? Have your circumstances not fallen in your favor? Did that dream job you thought you had, did it not work out quite like you thought it should? That wife that just suddenly fell sick and passed on to the next life. Leaving you, sir, wondering what just happened. The parent who abandoned the family. The stillborn infant lifeless in the devastated mother's arms. The abused, the mistreated, the misunderstood. So much pain. Death is so final sometimes. I mean, think about even, you know, how many parents on this planet have to choose which of their kids they're going to feed, because they don't have enough food for all of them. In some places, they'll sell them, and then they become violent rape victims, dying alone in the silence, after they've been mistreated. How many people have broken hearts, broken minds, broken bodies? We're often frustrated Angry, irritated, we're mad at the world, we're mad at God, we're mad at ourselves, we're mad at other people. Then we go to the if-onlys. You know, when someone dies, we think, oh, if only I did this, or if only this happened, or if only they did that. Or we go to the what-ifs. What if God came down and healed him right there, and what if, and what if, and what if, and why, 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 why do we wonder why? Don't you wanna know? I'm not gonna give you the answer to that. I'm closer to the four non-blondes. I scream, what's going on? And some of you will catch that later. But death is real. Death is final. Death is scary. Death is horrible. Sometimes we say, God, don't you understand? Where are you in all of this? Why did you let this happen? God, don't you love people? How could you let this happen? God, where's your justice? Why did you allow this to happen? How could this be? Do you ever just shake your head and ask yourself questions? Some of you. We see so much sadness and hatred around us Many people, even in the faith right now, some of you even watching online, you're discouraged at best. You're losing heart, you're losing hope. Some are depressed, some are becoming very despondent. But I wanna reframe things from God's perspective to the best of my limited human ability. I wanna talk to you today in these concepts of life and death, and let's start with breath. How many know there's a difference between your breath and God's breath? Some of you didn't know that. Your breath probably smells like the last thing you put in your mouth. Hopefully toothpaste or a mint. Some of you are drinking coffee and you have coffee breath. But let's talk about God's breath for a minute because you know when God breathes, he breathes people into existence. Your soul and your spirit are God-breathed. Let's look at what the scriptures have to say about this in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust out of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. I'll go to the Strong's Concordance Dictionary and the word nishema, I think. It's a Hebrew word. It means blast that breathes inspiration, soul, spirit. At creation, humans were not alive until God breathed life into them, until he breathed their soul and their spirit into existence. Now, after creation, this happens at conception. Look at Psalms chapter 51. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Well, how can you be a sinner if you don't exist? If you don't have a soul or a spirit, How could you be a sinner? From the moment of conception, the Bible says, so now we see that after God created the first humans and made them alive, now human spirits are breathed into existence at at conception. In Psalms 139, it talks about, verse 13, for you formed my innermost parts and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks and praise to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret and intricately and skillfully formed as if I embroidered with many colors in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book were all written the days that were appointed for me. You know, you only have so many days appointed to you. And when as yet, there was none of them even taking shape. Before you even had a single day outside of your mother's womb, God had written out your life. He had a map for your life. He had a plan for you. And I think I read that from Amplified just now, just to mess everybody up. But even science tells us that there is a unique individual human DNA from the moment of conception. Yet how many innocent lives have been snuffed out in our rebellion against God? In Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 5, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it, and he gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks in the earth. We need to foundationally understand that life is created by God. He alone creates the human soul and the human spirit. Are we catching this? Foundationally, if we don't understand that one point, we're going to come to the wrong conclusions. Genesis 1:26 and 27. I come here a lot. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them: male and female. He created them. We were made in his image. He made us male and he made us female. When you don't understand where you come from, when you don't understand your identity, it's going to be affected because if you think that you evolved from monkeys in single-cell amoebas, Your conclusions about yourself are going to be wrong, and therefore your conclusions about life and death are going to be wrong, and you're not going to ever see things from God's perspective. When you don't understand who you are, when you got a wrong identity, it causes you to adhere to values, concepts, and ideas that are inconsistent with the created purpose that God has for you. He breathed you into existence, you were created. And he has a purpose for your life. He has a mission for you. He has a plan for you. You know, even, uh, let's let's talk about some people. There was an evolutionist like William Hamilton. And even in his writings he postured that the miracles we see have to be guided by a higher higher power. He concluded that there were these sentient alien beings with infinitely more wisdom than us than were some great experiment. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. Nonsense. Robert Wright even discusses the God hypothesis. Why why do these evolutionists and people that in their atheistic and humanistic philosophies deny that God exists or they don't believe in God, they still look to some higher entity because they realize that miracles exist outside of the realm of science And they can't deny the miracles that we've seen throughout history, even the miracles that we see up to present day. They can't deny it and they have no frame of reference for it in their limited human wisdom and reasoning because it goes outside of everything that they think that they know. And the only thing that it points to is that there is an entity that is a higher power that can supersede the laws of nature. Are we catching this? They point to it, but in their arrogance, they don't see the forest for the trees. Did I say that backwards? The trees for the forest? No, it's the forest for the trees. (laughs) People who claim God does not exist as a transcendent deity entertain theories that discuss a supreme being. We are designed by a creator. By Almighty God. We talked about the Almighty in the Apostles' Creed. But watch, we're made in his image and we have his breath in us. This is the foundation of life where God breathed. Without his breath, you are not alive. You are just earth. You're dirt. Mankind is trying to create life today. They're altering what God has made and God has called good. Man cannot, will never be able to create a human spirit. It's outside of our realm. We don't have the skill, the knowledge, or the ability, because my breath is not equal to God's breath. When he breathes, people come into existence. And every time someone's conceived, God's right there breathing them into existence. Every single person that's alive, God breathed. Mankind can try to take his place, but they will never speak into existence thing that only the Holy One can call into existence. So the next word I want to look at as I'm going through this right now is another Hebrew word, ruach, which is breath, wind, and spirit. This is another one that ties in closely to this conversation. In Numbers twenty-seven sixteen, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, you're the God who gives breath to all creatures. All life comes from the Creator. Outside of him, life does not exist because the soul and the spirit that you have can only come from God. It doesn't just happen by science. It happens because God breathes you into existence. And then in Ezekiel 37, you see the prophecy about the dry bones. They're using that word ruach there when he's talking about it's coming alive and it's spirit to spirit. What is he talking? It's the, the breath of God. When God breathes on dead things, they come alive. Do we not understand? He's the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. There's another place that talks about that. And I want to go to Ecclesiastics 3, but I should lay this out first or, or explain it first. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastics, is talking about his journey through life. And he was a smart guy, smarter than anyone that really lived, with maybe the exception of Christ. And Solomon's talking about how I searched in this, and I searched in that, and I tried this, and I tried that. I had wealth and riches, and I did great buildings and great projects, and I had women, and I tried song and art and traveling and all the things that he tried, and it didn't make him happy. And he's talking about his journey in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastics 3, and he says, I also noticed that under the sun there's evil in the courtroom, yet even the courts of law are corrupt, and I said to myself in due season, God will judge everyone, both the good and the bad, for all their deeds. That's good wisdom. That's truth. When there's injustice, God will always bring it into light, and he will deal with it in his time, in his court. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people they're like animals. For people and animals share the same faith. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over animals. How meaningless both go to the same place. They came from the dust and they return to dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there's nothing better for people to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life, and no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. It's funny how a healthy dose of injustice causes you to go to dark places. Combine that with humanistic philosophies. They sound so grand, but they produce nothing of eternal value. What you need to understand is he's talking about the breath of life, and he's picking up on the breath of life and how anything alive has breath in it from God. But at the end of the journey, that breath goes back to him, and then your body goes back to the dirt. But if you don't understand the purpose of life and the purpose of the breath and the fact that we're eternal beings, that this earth suit is just a temporary part of the journey, if you don't understand that, then you're never gonna get to where Solomon did in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. And he starts summing it up. First, in verse six, he says, remember your creator. But in verse 13, he says, that's the whole story. Now, here's my final conclusion. After all my wandering, my traveling, my journeys, after searching in everything that there is to search in, wine, women, song. Today, they say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Everybody wants to be a star, you know. He says this, here's my final conclusion. Fear God, obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including the secret things, whether good or bad. The life that we have, the breath that God has placed within us, how do we view that? And then we want to go to the New Covenant where there's the Greek language and they use the word pneuma, which is most often translated, I believe, spirit, but it's also translated wind, In breath, about 350 times in the New Testament, you see the word pneuma. But in Revelations 11.11, I want to pick up there. Because in Revelations 11, there's these two prophets walking around on the earth for about three and a half years, and they're preaching, and everybody doesn't want to hear what they have to say. Anyone out there ever been talking, and you realize real quickly the people aren't listening because they want to hear what you have to say? Come on, you've been talking to someone, I'm sure, and they're looking at you like, la, 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 don't want to listen to you. They're preaching truth from God's word. The ones that are living in darkness, they hate the light, they don't want to hear the light, so there's these prophets walking around and they're preaching to the nations, and the nations don't want to listen to their word, so they kill them. (laughs) They murder them and they lay dead in the streets for three and a half days. Think about that. Can you imagine someone getting killed and the the world system on TV is like, yeah, we're just gonna let them stay there, we don't wanna bury them, just nobody touch them. But after three and a half days it says, God breathed life in them and they stood up and terror struck all who were staring at them. The world was rejoicing that they were dead, I don't have to listen to them convict me of sin anymore because they're preaching God's word, they're dead. How terrified is the world going to be when God breathes life back into them and they raise up? How terrified? In Luke 8, I'm going to go to Amplified, verse 51, the story of Jairus' daughter. And it says, When he came to the house, this is Jesus, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, his inner circle, and the girl's father and mother. And now they were all weeping loudly and mourning for her but he said do not weep she's not dead but sleeping now catch this next verse 53. then they began to laugh scornfully at him and ridiculing him knowing without any doubt that she was dead jesus walks in the room and people had the audacity to mock him laugh him and scorn him when he said she's not dead she's just sleeping i'm gonna suggest to you humans that when God walks into the room and declares something, it's gonna happen. You would be wise to take a step back and go, yes, sir. But Jesus took hold of her hand saying, child, arise, and her spirit returned because the creator who controls life, he spoke and said, come alive, and she came alive, and she woke up. And her spirit came back. It says she got up immediately and ordered, that he, he ordered that she be given something to eat. Life, breath, her spirit responded to his voice and returned to her show. I'm telling you, when Jesus makes a declaration, it will be enacted. You're not gonna stop it. No, Jesus and Luke are better men than I. Because if I was recording that, I would have absolutely put a little line in there that says and they stopped laughing and scoffing at Jesus. John 19.30 or Acts 7.59, that's that same word pneuma or spirit. You know, we are essentially the breath of God on earth while we're here. Our life is because we are his breath. Your spirit and your soul are really the breath of God. We have to understand this if you want to live the fullest life. But if you're spirit is connected to his spirit, then you're gonna live the fullest life. If you're not connected to God, you really need to be. This is how you get connected to God. You realize that you've missed the mark, you've sinned, you've broken God's law, and you're a sinner. So you say, God, I repent, I turn from my sinful ways. And then, turning from our sin is good, repentance is good, But then you had to have a way to deal with the sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross as a sacrifice for your sin. He paid your sin debt. He was innocent, yet he took your guilt. He took your shame, he took your pain. He took your death penalty. And he bore it on his own body. And you acknowledge his work. You repent of your sin, you acknowledge his work. And then what do you do? You've confessed your sin, you've accepted the sacrifice, and now you allow your spirit to be connected with his spirit. And it's a union that's not easily broken. And this is what we gotta understand. As Christians, we live in connection with our creator. And when you're living life, you gotta remember that you're, you're really his breath on the earth. We're operating as his children and his ambassadors. Why, because his spirit lives within us. And if his spirit lives within you, it changes the way you see your life. Have you ever carried something for a friend and you took really good care of it? Why, because it wasn't yours. The life you have, it really isn't yours, it's his. He gives it to you. He entrusts it into your care and keeping and how are you gonna steward the life that he's given you? I wanna go to John six. For those of you that are at home, if you wanna prepare your elements, in a moment I'll have you all stand. But in verse 53, it says, So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me, and in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread. They came down from heaven, and anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but will live forever. In a minute, I'm going to go to verse 63, but I want to explain this concept before we go to partake of the cup together. In the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches, they believe in transubstantiation where Literally, when you take this bread and this juice, it turns into the literal blood and body of Christ, and they take that passage here very literally in verse 53 to 58 that I just read. The Lutherans believe in a a variation of that called consubstantiation, but most of evangelical Christianity where we sit today, it has a lot to do with understanding this passage and the symbolic nature of what Jesus has instituted here. You know, if you go back to the beginning of John chapter six, what do you see Jesus doing? He's feeding who? The 5,000, right? And then he's talking about bringing the bread of life. And he's contrasting the physical, spiritual nature of food saying, hey, there's more to this life than just physical sustenance. You need to feed your spirit as well. And then he's saying, I am the one that's gonna feed your spirit. And he established some metaphoric or some symbolic language throughout the entire chapter here of John, chapter 6. So then when he gets to the end in verse 63, he brings it all home between the natural spiritual and he says in verse 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He completes the picture that he's giving us. Stand with me wherever you're at. But as Jesus has completed the picture, we understand that this represents him. It doesn't literally transfer into something magically. No magic here, just faith. But he says that we're to, A, discern his body, B, partake of it, and C, we do it in remembrance of him. In remembrance of what? Of his death, burial, and sacrifice. His resurrection. His body was broken. I always break the bread, just like Jesus broke the bread. Why? His body was broken. Why do we do that? We do it to remember. When we come together as the body of Christ to partake of the Lord's Supper, what do we do? It's a remembrance, it's a celebration of the covenant that he made with us on the cross. So to recap before we partake, God has breathed you into existence. In fact, all of your higher reasoning and thought is not due to natural chance. It's because God has created you with a purpose. He gave you your soul, your mind, your emotions. He gave you your spirit. He breathed that into existence. You are his breath. And one day that breath leaves this earth suit and goes back to him. We'll talk about death in some of the future weeks. Today we're talking about breath. Father, I thank you that you sent the sun to earth. I thank you for the very life and existence that each of us has. Even the people that don't acknowledge you. Lord, at best, they're stewards of the gifts that you have placed inside of their life and stewards of this breath that you've given them. And some spend it for your glory and for your purposes, and others are selfish and spend it for themselves. But all of us are gonna stand before you So, Father, in our hearts and our minds right now, we look to you. We ask you to purify us. We ask you to help us to live the best life possible for you in connection with you. Lord, if there's any sickness in anybody, I speak the life of Jesus over it. The breath of God is released over us right now. And where his spirit is, Sickness and disease have to leave, in the name of Jesus. So Father, I thank you that you mend the broken hearts and the broken places and the emotions. Lord, all of the pain, we lay it down at your feet today. And we say, heal us, cleanse us, wash us breathe on us and let your life flow forth now in Jesus' name. And as we come to the cup we're celebrating that his blood was shed. We're celebrating that he gave up his life. temporarily, so that we could have freedom. Without that moment, we'd be in a lot of trouble when we stand before God. You know, as I was kind of just standing up here meditating a little bit before we started, there's some of you right now that the Spirit of God is nudging you to face in the correct direction You're not facing the right way. And things are about to begin escalating in your life very rapidly. And if you're facing the wrong direction, you're going to end up in the wrong spot. You're going to miss it by a long shot. And the Spirit of God is encouraging people right now. There's more than one or two. Make sure you are aligned with the direction that God has for your life. In the Valley of Decision, make sure that you're seeking direction and guidance and wisdom from the Creator. There's multiple men right now in the Valley of Decision. There's some women in the Valley of Decision. You need to look to the Creator right now. Because when the escalation takes place and everything speeds up, Some of you will land right where you're supposed to, but if you're off just a little, you're going to be off by a lot. Father, I thank you for the cup, the new covenant that you cut with your own blood, that I can be forgiven of my sin, that others can be forgiven of theirs. Lord, we seek you right now with all of our heart. We thank you that as we have released forgiveness, in bitterness and in anger and resentment against others, and even you and ourselves, that Lord, we can receive forgiveness for our faults and our sins from you. So, Lord, as you have released your supernatural pardon over our lives, and you have declared good things, I thank you that you breathe on your people and that your spirit activates faith inside of everyone, that we realize that we were created with purpose, that we were created for your glory. In Jesus' name. I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. I want to encourage you, focus on that this week, that you're the breath, the breath of God is in you. Your very existence is because he breathed you into existence. And if you're struggling with those concepts, that you were really created with purpose, spend some time there and make sure that you're aligned with where God is taking you. But he's got a good plan for you because he loves you. God bless you all. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great day.